Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, please take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The title of this teaching is, How Valuable is the Reward? And just quickly, uh, understanding the word reward in the Bible as it's used in terms of the Christian believer's reward, it simply means wages or compensation. We all understand what that means when we go to work, we get paid. Those are our wages for the work we did. Or in the case of the Word of God, it's talking about the service, various things that you do in service to God for which you're rewarded or given compensation. So that's what it means. So let's read this record. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, well, well, let's start in verse 5. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward, his own compensation, according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. According to the grace of God given, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, brought out into the open, brought out into the light. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's, every person's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. He shall receive compensation. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So, a person can spend their entire life committed to some work. And if this, built, if this work is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, it is eligible for reward or compensation. If not, uh, it gets burned and the person suffers loss. We might ask ourselves, well, is this a small loss that one would suffer or is it a great loss? And to appreciate the potential of the loss, we need to have some idea of how valuable the reward might be. How valuable is that compensation that you could get? And the value of something can be determined by what someone is willing to exchange for it. Okay, For example, let's say you're selling a car. How much money would you want for it if you're, if in order for you to under, you know, get the value out of it that you believe the car is worth? If you sold it for $100, well, you don't think very highly of your car. But somewhere in there you find a value that is 
something that will give you a fair exchange for what that car is worth. So the same with the reward. The value of something can be determined by what someone is willing to exchange for it. What am I, what are we willing to exchange for that reward? And we're going to try to understand what the scriptures, do they give us any indication of how valuable the reward or compensation might be? Well, let's go to a record in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 24. It says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The word reproach means to, you know, to be defamed. It's another way of like, or in other words, to be insulted. Um, in Moses' estimation, the insult that he suffered for Christ was greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Insult for Christ. Just think about that. It was greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because it says he was looking to the reward, the compensation that would come as he carried out his ministry. Imagine the treasures of Egypt being at your disposal right now. You know, the treasures of Egypt, the great wealth that Egypt had, which at that time was brought partly by the walk of Joseph, who went before Moses, many, many years before Moses, and brought wealth to the nation. Imagine throwing all that away in exchange for suffering insults for Christ. Now, it doesn't sound like a very wise decision, unless... The value, the value of the reward is greater, right? What are you willing to exchange? That shows you the value of something. He was willing to exchange the greater, the, the riches, the treasures at, of Egypt at his disposal for Christ. And, the, and he, this was the first coming of Christ. And it says that he was willing to do that because he was looking to the reward. So does that give us a bit of an idea of how valuable the reward might be? Let's look at another record in Matthew chapter 19. Now, it's really easy to read that record about Moses and um, think, oh yeah, he gave up everything, but put yourself in his shoes if you're making that decision. I have everything. I have a life of ease. I have multiple houses. I'm Pharaoh. You know, I have access to everything. Wealth. I don't have to labor. I can party. I can enjoy my life without any anybody telling me what to do. Yeah, but I'm going to give it up so I can be insulted and, and go through tribulation, all kinds of trials. Because, and the only reason? Because he said it wrecked he did it by believing what God gave him information. And part of the information that God obviously gave him was that 
the great reward he would have for doing that service. In Matthew chapter 19, verse, there's a record of a rich young ruler that came to Jesus Christ. And uh, we won't read the whole, well, let's, I guess we'll read, let's read verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he, Jesus, said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He said unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, Well, all these things have I kept from my youth. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, and that means to be mature, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now, um, the switch, originally the, the, uh, the uh, discussion was about eternal life, but then it switched to what he could do now, what he, what his, how he could be, reach maturity. And Jesus Christ said to him, in, in order to be really fully mature, sell everything that you have and come and follow me, and you are going to have reward in heaven. In verse 22, it says, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Okay. In contrast to Moses, this man went away sorrowful, you know, because he didn't want to give up all his great possessions. Jesus Christ had offered him treasure in heaven for selling all that he possessed and giving it to the poor. Do you think Jesus Christ offered this young man something less than his great possessions? Was Jesus Christ saying, well, you're not going to get as much as you have now, but sell it all and follow me? No, he said, you're going to have great. Now, again, think of all that you own right now. Would you readily give up 50% of all, all the way for the sake of Christ? Or how about 100% as the Lord asked this young man, would you give it all for the sake of Christ? See, we're not told how, what the treasure in heaven would be, but it's referring to reward. But it's definitely safe to say that it's a greater value than all the great possessions this man had. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. The book of Hebrews addresses believers, and it was addresses those who are getting tired of the fight. And there's a lot of encouragement in here to continue to stand on God's word, continue because there's going to be reward in the future. And here is another reminder to them in verse 32. He says to them, but call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Remember back when you first became believers and you believed? Remember all the stuff that you went through and the words endured a great fight of afflictions are rendered as endured a hard struggle with sufferings by the working translations. They had endured all this stuff at the beginning of their 
pilgrimage, pilgrimage as Christians. They had endured all this. And he says, partly while you were made a gazing stock or a spectacle, both by reproaches, insults, and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. You see, they were insulted, and then their fellows, their other people, other believers were insulted, and they were together insulted and made into a spectacle. Everybody said, ah, oh, ha, ha, look at these silly Christians. And they endured a lot of grief. And then he says, for you had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Okay. So these Hebrew saints had previously previously endured a hard struggle with sufferings. They had been either publicly exposed to reproach and affliction or had been partners with others who were treated that way. And they joyfully took the plundering. You know, people came in and took their property. And they joyfully took that. They were willing to suffer such injustice and loss because they knew they had a better possession and an abiding one in heaven. And they were encouraged here to continue with that kind of thinking, not to quit now, because they, they were going to have more reward in the future if they continue that way. See? Clearly, they are being reminded of the value of the great reward. The thought of this great, great reward would allow them to joyfully accept the plundering of their property, to be exposed to ridicule, and endure further hard struggles and sufferings. So while they're not told exactly what their reward would be, the implication is that it would be worth enduring such awful situations and hardships. You know, it's thinking about these situations, ask yourself the question, what kind of compensation would I accept to be persecuted and ridiculed and have all my personal property confiscated because I stood for Christ? You know, what, what compensation would make it worth it for me to go through such a situation? Somebody comes into my house, takes everything I own, insults me. You know, I get my name plastered all over Twitter and X or whatever the heck it's called now. And all and told about, you know, all the things that I'm uh, made into a public spectacle because of the I believe in Christ. What compensation would I accept? Oh, that's okay. I can handle that. So it's starting to give us, these, these records that we're reading give us a great indication of how valuable, just how valuable future reward is. In Luke chapter 6, We're not going to read this whole, we're just going to read one verse here. Here Again, Jesus Christ was teaching his disciples about reward and dealing with all kinds of situations, negative situations. And he says in verse 35, But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. And you shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. We can see that 
what is being offered in exchange for loving our enemies, doing good for those. Uh, it, it's in this life. It says, "Do it without expecting anything back." Okay. Do it without expecting anything back, because you're going to have a great reward in heaven. How often people quit in their service because there's no response or thankfulness for what they have done to help others. Okay. You know, from some people, you can either expect you you do expect that they would be thankful, but here it's saying, "Don't expect anything back." And especially even loving your enemies where you wouldn't expect too much back. So imagine now if you if you knew you were going to work your entire life going to whatever place you, of occupation you have and not get any payment of services. Imagine that. How motivated would you be to perform that service? You come over and do this job for me and I'm not going to pay you anything. But Jesus Christ is saying, that's not what he's offering. He's saying, don't expect now, but you're going to get a great reward in heaven. Okay. So like many other records where Jesus Christ spoke about rewards, he used it as a motivation to encourage greater commitment to him and the gospel. To encourage doing things that seem contrary to human nature. Okay. Certainly this speaks to the great value of the reward that we as believers can expect. Let's go to a record in Matthew chapter 16 that is often misunderstood. Matthew 16. And we're going to pick it up in verse 21. It says, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples. Okay, this is who he's talking to. He's not talking to the crowds, disciples. How that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Peter. Peter rebuked the Lord Jesus Christ when he spoke of going through suffering and death that he was going to undergo in Jerusalem. It seems that Peter could not see these things happening to his Lord. Let's see how Jesus Christ responded. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Jesus Christ reprimanded Peter and challenged, you know, as, as, and, and we're going to see what he said in, in turn. Verse 23, then he says, uh, I'm sorry, verse 25, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus Christ reprimanded Peter and challenged all his disciples to greater commitment by denying themselves and taking up the cross and following, following them. So we, I guess we missed verse 24. Yeah, that's what I wanted to read. I'm sorry. Let's read verses 23 and 24 again. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savors not the things that be of God, 
but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Okay. So Jesus Christ reproved Peter and challenged all his disciples to greater commitment by denying themselves, taking up the cross and following him. And to take up the cross simply means to put aside your own self-interest to do the interests of the master. Just like Jesus Christ was putting aside his own interests to do the, the will of the Father, you see, he was ready to go and do what God required of him in Jerusalem. Peter didn't think it was such a great idea. Jesus Christ then said to his disciples, you know, you take up the cross and follow me. Okay? And there might be some things you're going to have to endure as a result. But I'm your example here. You know, Jesus Christ was their example. Then he says in verse 25, he continues about speaking about commitment here. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his works. Jesus Christ was totally committed to carrying out his mission. He was going to give up his life, and he asked them for this kind of a commitment. And he illustrated this commitment by saying, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. The word lose the, the word lose here in verse uh, 25 means to destroy or cause to perish. Okay, And the word lose in 26 means to suffer loss. In fact, it's the same word that we read about in Corinthians where it says, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Okay, So just to reiterate, verse 25, the word lose means to destroy or cause to perish. And the word lose in verse 26 means to suffer loss. Okay. And furthermore, in both of these verses, you see how the word life is used and soul. It's exactly the same word. It's suke. All of them should be either life or all should be soul. Okay. So if we were to exchange and put those words into these two verses, here's how they would read. I'll read them twice so you get it. So Jesus Christ said, for whosoever will save his life shall destroy it. And whosoever will destroy his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his own life? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his life? Okay, so let me read that again. For whosoever will save his life shall destroy it, and whosoever will destroy his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his own life, or what shall a man give in exchange for his life? Now, is Jesus Christ literally suggesting his disciples destroy their lives for his sake? Of course not. What he's encouraging was such a complete commitment to following him so that they did not put their own desires ahead of his. You know, we might say he was asking them to lay it all on the line. Okay? 
lay all their lives on the line and in commitment to him. Now, some have suggested that this teaching is addressing eternal life. Uh, They say that to lose the soul means losing eternal life. Well, we know that all men lose their soul when they die because the soul refers to breath life. Okay, Here, soul or life is put by metonymy, which means a part used for the whole. And it's really referring to how what somebody does with their life, how one lives their life day by day. Jesus Christ was exhorting his disciples about commitment or denying themselves and taking up the cross and following him. And he spoke about the future when he would come with his angels and reward every man according to his works. So it's clear that he was not speaking about eternal life, but reward. Jesus Christ was speaking about what somebody does with their life, you know, the profit of that life. His rhetorical questions implied that a man could who dedicated his whole life to gaining the world, you know, be, let's say becoming the richest man in the world, gaining everything of the world, in fact, lost his life. He wasted it. He would not profit from the reward which Christ would give. In essence, he would lose his life or essentially wasted on worldly pursuits. So in terms of the value assigned to the reward, we can see that this teaching by the Lord Jesus Christ indicates that the reward that he will give will make an entire life committed to him worthwhile. Someone could entirely lose or destroy their life for the sake of Christ, and they would get it back because of the great reward. Let's close with uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. Perhaps one of the greatest examples of somebody taking heed to these teachings of Jesus Christ on committing their whole life to the gospel is the Apostle Paul. And here in Philippians 3, he says, he he speaks about all the gains that he had of his own personal life. But then he says in verse 7, but what things were gained to me, you know, all the things I had in this life, those I counted loss. That's that word, loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, or refuse, that I may win Christ. Okay. Paul considered, he, he believed that teaching. He's put it all on, he gave up everything, all his great prestige and, and, and recognition among people. The Pharisee, the Pharisees gave it all up, but he considered it refuse in comparison to winning Christ, okay. just carrying out his ministry that Christ had called him to. So while we may never know exactly what our reward will be, we can easily see of its great value, can't we? The value of something can be determined by what someone can exchange for it. Let's summarize some of the indications of the value of the reward we've seen. Well, we've seen that it's more valuable than all the treasures of Egypt. Because Moses was willing to exchange all the treasures of Egypt for that reward and the reproach concerning Christ. 
It's more valuable than all the money the rich young ruler had, however that might have been. It's more valuable and enduring than any earthly substance or possessions. You know, if you, if you, somebody comes in, comes in, takes all your property, because of you belong to Christ, the reward is more valuable than that. It's worth the cost of suffering persecution, loss of property, suffering insults and other ills just in order to obtain it. It's worth doing things that have no expectation of earthly gain and loving your enemies. And the reward is worth more than gaining the whole world. Okay. Gaining the whole world. That's what Jesus Christ said. So these are only a few of the comparisons that indicate the value of the great reward that is available to Christian believers. So again, while we may not know exactly what the value, the reward is, we can most assuredly begin to see its immense value. And we certainly can understand that suffering loss would not be desirable. And thus we can commit our lives to building our works, our work on the Lord Jesus Christ with an expectation of great reward in the future. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful word and thank you God for, again, we rejoice in the great hope in what lies ahead of us uh, at the return of Christ all the blessings that you've given us now, we're so grateful for, Father. And yet there's so much more in store, the exceeding riches of your grace that are to come in the days to come and all the wonderful promises that you've given us. Thank you, Father, for helping each one of us to continue to commit our lives to stand upon your word and be committed to Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the gospel. Thank you, for, Father, again, for opportunities, as Doug prayed, to continue to hold forth your word to others so they too can have an opportunity to receive the great blessings that you've given us and will give us in the future. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.